this is a picture that uh, I was given in September 2012 at, at the church that I grew up in. Uh, it was at a prayer and praise night, and someone had this picture in their mind's eye that they felt was from uh, the Lord. They didn't know who it was from, and it was a picture of a kind of luscious piece of uh, corn that was kind of very fruitful, uh, falling into the ground and uh, dying, uh, and you sort of see all the kernels here. Uh, and then they had uh, the picture of a, a cross uh, and then uh, this sort of curtain that was being torn in two, uh, like there was in the temple uh, when Jesus died. And then the kind of glory of God shining out through that temple. And then these little corn kernels started sort of taking root and growing. And what they saw, it was first in their mind's eye uh, that they saw uh, this this picture of this almighty harvest uh, of, of luscious corn as far as the eye uh, could see in, in every direction. And they felt that that was from the Lord and for someone who was at this uh, prayer and praise night. Well, what they didn't know is that at the time, uh, my wife Ruth and I were wrestling with and praying through the idea of uh, leaving this church that we uh, had grown up in, the church that we loved, the church that I had been a leader in for 10 years, um, to take on the new role somewhere else of being the youth and young adults pastor uh, at an even bigger church with an even bigger uh, youth and young adults ministry. Uh, and so uh, we had been really praying earnestly about whether this was the call, and we took uh, this uh, picture as a sign uh, from God that he was, he was indeed calling us uh, to leave, and that, yes, uh, it would be painful uh, for us to leave the church we grew up in, the church that we loved, uh, but God had an incredibly fruitful ministry uh, for us where we were going. Uh, so this bit here, we thought, would uh, this dying bit would last for a few months, uh, and then this bit here, uh, who takes up a fair bit of the picture, uh, we thought would last for decades. So uh, we left our church and we moved on to greener pastures, except that it wasn't greener pastures. It was the valley of the shadow of death. It turned out when we got there, it took a long time to figure it out, but my new boss was a bully and a narcissist. Uh, He made life incredibly miserable for me and for everyone around me. Life at home was incredibly difficult because I was so uh, stressed out of my mind, not sleeping well, starting to develop health problems. And life at work was incredibly stressful because all of us were working for someone who was a bully and a narcissist. So Uh, After three years, by the end of 2015, I was completely burned out. I had a major health collapse, uh, and some of you will know that I'm still recovering today from uh, the impact on my uh, body from that experience. Uh, And now, as I look back on that experience, starting more than 10 years ago, and I think about my motives for leaving church and going to this new church, I've, I've since realized or learned that sometimes when we pray, hallowed be your name, deep down in our hearts, we're actually really praying, hallowed be my name. And sometimes when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, sometimes actually deep down in our hearts, what we're actually praying is, my kingdom come and my will be done. I can see you're a little bit puzzled Here's what I mean. 
about the time I left. Uh, these are some uh, professional photos that I had taken uh, in 2015, just before I left. Uh, and uh, this is my favourite one here. You might not be able to see it while I'm preaching. Uh, a whole lot of professional photos taken while before I left because I wanted to start a new blog, kierancar.net. Uh, and, and people would come and learn from, I guess, my fount of uh, wisdom, and they'd make their way to uh, kierancar.net, and they'd learn all kinds of amazing things uh, that I'd learned in ministry uh, thus far. Uh, I had a coach, coach at the time, and I can't remember what I said when she said, Kieran, why do you want to start a blog? I, c- I can't remember what I said, but I know that the honest answer was, because I feel so naked and ashamed and feel such a deep sense of failure in fulfilling this role at a bigger church with a bigger ministry. I feel so naked and ashamed that I I need something to try and cover over my sense of failure, my sense of nakedness and my sense of shame. And this blog uh, is there to tell me and to tell the world that I'm not a failure and I have nothing to be feeling ashamed about. In other words, I was thinking I was serving God's kingdom and God's name, but deep down underneath, there was really a big part of me that was saying, hallowed be my name, my kingdom come, my will be done. Now, the problem that I was dealing with, or more accurately, the the problem that God was dealing with in me is a problem that, uh, a thing that the Apostle Paul calls the flesh, uh, the flesh in the Bible, it's not talking about our physical bodies. Uh, it's, it's talking about that part of us that uh, wants nothing to do with God and just wants to do life by itself on its own. Paul Miller says that the flesh uh, is our natural bent towards evil, which causes us to obsess over ourselves, which is what I was doing, and rebel against God. These two aspects of the flesh are connected. Because we're allergic to God, we don't want anyone telling us, what to do, we are self-absorbed. We reverse the two great commandments. Instead of loving others, we love ourselves. Instead of loving God, we love other gods. Uh, You would think that a minister uh, of the gospel might have figured this out, but how amazing that even a minister of the gospel is able to uh, twist and turn uh, the, the, the priorities of the kingdom and, and actually kid himself and everyone else that he's seeking God's purposes and God's ends when actually it's just a really great cover for feeding the self. Amazing. Well, the big idea this morning is that God has an antidote for the flesh. He has an antidote. Do you know what the antidote is? The antidote for the flesh is fire. Uh, We've been talking about becoming a praying church. God has blessed us amazingly. We had 70 plus people who came together to gather to learn about becoming a praying church. And I'm hoping that what we pray as a church is, Father, pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out upon us. But today I want to warn you. Today I want you to understand this. The spirit brings fire. The spirit brings pot fire. Every time I've taught this seminar, which is three times now, and people have prayed and asked God, pour your spirit out, the spirit has brought fire. 
You see, the danger of us becoming a praying church is, is that we fall into the trap that I fell in, is that um, deep down in our hearts, we actually, without realising it, we're praying, hallowed be my name and my kingdom come and my will be done. This is the kind of sneaky nature of the flesh. But what the Spirit wants to do as he's poured out upon us is he actually wants to burn that up inside of us so that we genuinely, from our hearts, are able to pray, your name be hallowed, hallowed be your name your kingdom come and your will be done. And so the title that I've given for the talk today is The Flutter and the Fire because I want to show you in the texts that Jesus gets the flutter but we get the fire. Have a look at the passage that we read this morning, Luke 3, 21 to 22. Now when all the people were baptised, And when Jesus also had been baptised, that means to be drenched, and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. That's the flutter. Jesus gets the flutter. Do you know what the the dove symbolises in the scriptures? It's a picture of purity. It's a picture of cleanliness and holiness. Remember what Jesus said, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. In other words, there was such cleanliness and such holiness and such purity in our Lord Jesus Christ that there was a perfect match. When the Holy Spirit descended upon him, he descended like a dove. There was nothing to offend the Spirit in Jesus, nothing to grieve him and nothing that the Spirit had to burn or fire that he had to bring in Jesus because he was as innocent as a dove. They were a perfect match. In other words, Jesus doesn't have a sinful flesh. He's not filled with the self like I was and like we are, but he was filled with what? He was filled with the spirit. And he wasn't about his, himself, he was about his father and he was about others. And you see this in the next chapter, Luke chapter 4, he gets up in a synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is, upon, is on me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, if you're like me and you fall into the trap of thinking that um, God gives you his spirit so that your kingdom can come and your will be done and your name can be made great, then when you look at this passage, who is the father thinking of when he pours the spirit out on Jesus? Who is it for? Who is this spirit for? Is it for Jesus? It's for the poor. It's for the prisoners. It's for the blind. And it's for the oppressed. Jesus was not filled with self. He was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit was given him to serve and to bless others, the last, the least, and the lost. Jesus didn't have, he wasn't self-centered. He was Spirit-filled. And so he had no sinful nature that the Holy Spirit needed to burn, which is why the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And he was ultimately the ultimate man who was filled with the Spirit. So Jesus gets the flutter, but what about us? 
Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and there's a prediction of a messenger who will come looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. I don't know that I was presenting offerings to the Lord in righteousness when I made that move, but God had the antidote, and it was refiner's fire. So that's the prediction. 400 years later, we get Jesus in Luke 3. Oh, sorry, this is John the Baptist. And he's, you know where he is. He's at the Jordan River, and they're asking him if he's the Messiah. And John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the refiner's fire that Malachi was talking about in chapter 3. When he comes, he'll come like a refiner's fire. And so um, the Apostle Peter, uh, one of the 12 disciples, um, he had his own baptism of fire, if you think about it. Can you remember? It was after he so confidently proclaimed three times in in a row to Jesus, I will never deny you. I will never betray you. He says, if anyone would ever betray you, out of all the people may betray you, but I will never betray you. Brothers and sisters, what you call that is the flesh. That's what you call putting confidence in the flesh, in the self. I can do this. I'm strong enough. It's all about me. And so he had this confidence in his own flesh that he would stick by Jesus But God has the perfect antidote for the flesh, and that is fire. And so he says to Simon in Luke 22, Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has demanded to sift you, all of you, like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, you, once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And you know how the story goes. He said he was going to stand by Jesus three times. And then what happened? He denied Jesus three times. And then with the breakfast by the beach after Jesus had risen again, he restored him three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he came back to strengthen his brothers, having been through his own baptism of fire and his flesh and his self, being thoroughly consumed through his horrendous failure and his baptism of fire, he did come back to strengthen his brothers and sisters. And he wrote these letters, 1 and 2 Peter. And we had a reading from 1 Peter this morning. And here's one of the things that he said to strengthen his brothers and sisters. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you also may be glad and shout for joy 
when his glory is revealed. Now, in some ways, you could say the main point of today's sermon is this. Do not be surprised. It's almost like Peter is saying, don't be like I was when I prayed your kingdom come. Because when I was praying your kingdom come, what I was really praying was, Jesus, can you come here and can you please over, help us to overthrow the Roman Empire and get them the heck out of here? And can you please usher in my idea of power, my idea of comfort and my idea of success? And that's in some ways in my heart what I was praying when I prayed your kingdom come. And instead, do you know what I got? It was a terrible surprise. I got this, a fiery ordeal, and I got sharing in Christ's sufferings. So don't be surprised when you pray your kingdom come. Don't be surprised when you pray pour out your spirit, that instead of your idea of comfort and power and success, you get this a fiery ordeal, and sharing in Christ's sufferings. So don't be surprised, but what are you to do instead? Instead, do this. Rejoice. Be glad. Shout for joy. Not because you're a stoic or a sadist and you love being in pain and you love suffering. Why? Because you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Now, stay with me here because this idea of sharing, it's the word for fellowship and it speaks of an intimate, personal union and relationship, um, an experience of relationship with God and his presence with us. And the way that this happens, the way that we experience this intimacy is through the Holy Spirit. Because remember, he's the spirit of Jesus. He's, uh, that's what the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans 8 verse 9. It's the spirit of Christ. So the way that we share in Christ's sufferings is by his spirit, the spirit of Jesus with us in the fire. So we say in our services, we are the body of Christ. His spirit is with us. And as we ask God to pour out his spirit on us, as I pray that we as a community will do, be doing so more and more and more. Father, pour your spirit out. Please be warned. Please understand that he brings the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 3 verse 11. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, the Spirit brings fire. The Spirit brings Christ's fellowship of sufferings. So don't be surprised. So it looks as though in the Bible that there are three types of fire. There's the fire of affliction that we've been talking mostly about and that I experienced when I moved to this new church. But then there's also the fire of intentional self-denial. And this one you can opt into or you can opt out of. It's up to you. But Jesus says this in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. He's speaking hyperbolically. He's exaggerating. But he is saying that whatever measures you need to take to deny yourself, as in your flesh, then take it. Because it's better for you to enter life maimed or lame 
than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. This is the fire of intentional self-denial, saying no to the self. Paul picks this up in various places, but most powerfully, and this is a really important verse, Romans 8, verse 13, he says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit brings fire. The Spirit has a killing function. Now, he can force that on us from outside in through the fires of affliction, but he's saying here, you can do this yourself. You can opt into this by putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Mortification is the word that they used in the Latin, I think. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27, like a, like a boxer training for a fight, I pummel my body and subdue it. But he talks about this is to, not to gain an earthly prize like a boxer or an Olympian, but the glory of God and an eternal prize. So um, I've found as I've grown in my Christian walk that one of the things I've grown in most is, is an awareness of the power of the flesh the power of evil inside my own heart, the desire to do life on my own and to not have God ruling over me. That's one of the main things that I've grown in is just how overwhelmingly powerful the flesh is and therefore how desperately I need the Spirit's help. Pour your Spirit out upon me that I might not be filled with the self but that I might be filled with the Spirit and to use every means I possibly can to try and put to death the deeds of the body, which is why I started this year preaching on fasting. You can go back and look it up online. And the power of fasting, of being able to say no so that I'm not filled with the self, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the key there is that Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. Spiritual food from heaven because we're spiritual beings and we need to be filled with the Spirit. And so we enter into this voluntary fire of saying no. And it's a season of Lent. I've already spoken to some people who in this season are voluntarily denying themselves in the season of Lent that we might say no to the flesh, no to the self, and be filled with the resurrection Easter Sunday power of the Spirit by saying no to the flesh. There's another third fire that the Bible talks about, and that's the fire of hell or eternal punishment. I wonder if you saw it in the reading that we just looked at. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, these are the words of Jesus, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble... Tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. In Revelation 20 verse 15, it says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So there are three kinds of fire that the Bible talks about. But I want to finish by asking a question. How can we be sure that the fires of this life are the refiner's fire and not hellfire? In other words, how can we be sure that the fire that we're going through 
is not God punishing us, but God actually loving us and refining us? I think that's a really important question. Because otherwise, when we go through suffering, we begin to think, well, maybe he's punishing me, or maybe he's abandoned me, or maybe he's not with me. I know I certainly did when I was going through my fiery ordeal that he's not with me. John Piper says that the furnace of affliction in the family of God, if you trust in Jesus, is always for refinement and never for destruction. It's always for refinement and never for destruction. But how is that possible? If you think about it, Jesus was the only one who ever walked the earth who was so perfectly innocent that when the Spirit descended on him, he descended on him as a dove. Jesus was filled with the Spirit like no one before him and no one ever after. There was such purity and holiness and innocence in him that he was filled with the dove of the Spirit. And yet, in Luke 12, he says this, I've come to bring fire to the earth. And now, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism. Jesus has a baptism with which to be baptized. And what stress I am under until it is completed. It's, he's already been baptized in Luke chapter 3. So what's he talking about? I have a baptism with which to be baptized. What's he talking about? He's talking about his baptism of fire on the cross. But wait a minute, he's the innocent one. He's the spotless one, as innocent as a dove. Uh, did you know uh, that this um, picture of the dove in the Old Testament, it's a picture of innocence and purity, but do you know what else it is in the Old Testament? It was an offering as a sacrifice for sin. If you couldn't afford the animal, bigger animals, the dove was an offering as a sacrifice to God in the temple for sin. What's going on there? It's the righteous, the innocent, the perfect and the pure was burned up and consumed by fire as a substitute for the unrighteous, the guilty and the impure. And what does the Bible say about Jesus? He who knew no sin, he was innocent as a dove, became sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is our substitute, our sacrifice, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's how we can know that the fire is not a fire of punishment, but a refiner's fire filled with love and grace. I might have shared this story before about um, a park ranger in Yellowstone a National Park who uh, found this um, bird that had been through a fire that went through a forest fire, had been left carbonised, and its petrified shell was just covered in ashes and huddled at the base of a tree. And the, and the ranger walked up to it, and with his stick he, he knocked over this petrified shell, and three tiny chicks scurried out from underneath the bird. You see, the mother had remained steadfast during the fire and stayed in place and had been burned up in place of its three little chicks. The mother died so that the three little chicks could live. That's the baptism of fire that Jesus is talking about. 
The love of the Father being poured out upon his people, his one and only precious and beloved Son, offered up for us the righteous for the unrighteous so that we could be made pure. And Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This is the love that the Father wants to pour out upon his people through the Son and by the Spirit. And that's why we can be confident that the furnace of affliction in the family of God is always for refinement and never for destruction. As we say in the hymn, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So, brothers and sisters, do not be surprised. Please pray with me. Pour your spirit out, but do not be surprised that the spirit brings fire. We want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Let me finish with a story about a group of women who were studying Malachi chapter 3, that bit that we looked at, and they saw that uh, it says God will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And they're so intrigued that one of them went home and looked up uh, their um, uh, yellow pages, white pages, to, to find a silversmith and see if they could go visit to look and just study this um, uh, process of refining silver. And uh, she didn't say anything about why she was there, but the guy said, yes, sure, come along. And as he watched the silversmith, he held this piece of silver over the fire until it heated up red hot. And he explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver over the fire in the middle of the fire where the flames were the absolute hottest in order to burn away all of the dross and the impurities. And as he explained, she thought about God holding his treasure over the fire in the same way with the same amount of love and care and attention. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. And the man answered, yes, not only do I have to sit there holding the silver, but I have to keep my eyes on the silver the entire time it's in the fire. Then she asked him another question. How do you know when the silver is fully refined? And he answered, oh, that's easy. When I look into it and I can see my image reflected back to me. Brothers and sisters, God by his spirit wants to conform us more and more into his likeness, into the likeness of his son. But because of the flesh, he has the antidote and the antidote is fire. So beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you also may be glad and shout for joy when his glory, his glory, is revealed. Amen? Let's pray. In the words of a hymn, Return, O holy dove, return. 
sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Amen. We're going to sing.